This piece was brought to you by the International Culinary Center, culinarycenter.com. HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Pleasure. I'm Jessica Harris, and welcome to my welcome table. Gather round this special table. It's scarred with memories, pitted with burned spots from hot skillets, and decorated with moisture rings from frosty glasses of lemonade, beer bottles, bourbon and ginger ale, and untold goblets of red wine. This table will be our flying carpet as we travel around the world. I'll share some of my secret spots. We'll meet new friends and reconnect with old ones. Sometimes, the table will be covered with fine porthot linen and my mother's bone china, and we'll sup on caviar and champagne. Other times, we'll cover it with yesterday's news and hanker down for a crawfish boil or a lobster supper. Whatever the meal, by the end of our time together, we'll have shared some special friends, sacred spots, and the food, drink, and music that connects them. So come, join me at my welcome table. Hi, my name's Mitzi Pratt, and I'm sitting at the welcome table. I'm Patrick Dunn, and I'm sitting at the welcome table. My name is John Barkley, and I'm sitting at the welcome table. My name is Anne McBride, and I'm sitting at the welcome table. I'm Betty Fussell, and I, too, am sitting at the welcome table. Compass point, 40.7 degrees north, 73.8 degrees west, Jamaica. Jamaica, Queens. I've always loved the Eddie Murphy film Coming to America, especially the scene where the prince, that's Murphy, and his sidekick, that's Arsenio Hall, are scanning the map looking for where to journey to find his bride. And after a thorough search, they happen upon Queens. Voila! Murphy's raucous and hysterical saga is a sort of wayward and wacko homage to the borough of my birth. Yes, I'm a bridge and tunnel child, one who knew Queens before it was the hip, happening home of an astonishing number of the world's nations and restaurants celebrating their national cuisines. Hey, don't knock my home borough. It's home to an equally astonishing number of overachievers, including Rufus King, one of the crafters of the American Constitution. His mansion in the middle of what was once a much-visited park, was one of the first places where I learned to love history. Other Queen's stars include Dick Parsons, former chairman of Citicorp and Time Warner, and current owner of the Cecil Restaurant in Uptown, Harlem, and an astonishing array of rappers like Salt and Pepper, Run DMC, and Russell Simmons. Betsy Wetsy, Tiny Tears, and the Rubik's Cube can also claim Queen's Roots, as they were manufactured at the Ideal Toy Company, which was also located in Jamaica. The Queen's of my childhood, though, was very, very different from the borough today. I grew up in an area much of which today is known as Jamaica, 
and it became known as Jamaica as more and more black folks moved in. However, back in my day, there were neighborhood designations. St. Albans, Springfield Gardens, Hollis, Laurelton, and of course, South Jamaica, where my grandmother lived in the projects. There was a mix of folks. There were Germans and Austrians and Irish, and those folks that back then we simply called Americans. The bakeries on Linden Boulevard sold black forest cakes and delicate butter cookies, and the Silver Bullet Diner on Merrick Road, where we'd go for dinner occasionally, had Salisbury steak and meatloaf and even sauerbraten on the menu. We were the second black family on the block. And in what I now recognize as an astonishing piece of sibling one-upsmanship, my Aunt Clara bought a house in the middle of the block before we could move in. We, though, snagged a corner house, which meant that we had an enormous side yard complete with weeping willow tree, masses of red emperor tulips that signaled the full arrival of spring, an assortment of flowering shrubs, and a Japanese red maple tree that was so beautiful that people used to stop their cars and ask to purchase it. When people tell tales of blockbusting and white flight, I just nod my head and smile. They don't have to tell me anything. I've lived it. My family and I settled in and put down roots as the families around us packed up and headed out in a seemingly unending caravan of moving vans. Soon, our neighbors were our hue, and the neighborhood was home for a group of upwardly mobile African-American families, more or less just like us. I grew up surrounded by mid-range government workers and engineers, the occasional doctor and lawyer or two. We even had our own professional baseball player in the person of George Crow of the Milwaukee Braves. His daughter, Adrian, was one of my best friends. Our section of St. Albans became a wonderful enclave, a sepia version of the 1950s American dream. Christmas was a special season. Aunt Clara had moved to Hollis by then, and we'd visit her. But we'd also drive to see the lights at St. Catherine of Siena Roman Catholic Church and the black Santa Claus that was atop James Brown's house. James Brown now lived one neighborhood over in Asley Park, along with Count Basie, Milton Hinton, and other African-American celebrities. The houses in Asley Park were larger and fancier, and the Christmas displays astonishing. But then again, Brown's Black Santa set the bar very, very high. At the other end of the annual spectrum, Summer brought, for those lucky enough to gain entrance, I never did, swims in Count Basie's pool. 
I settle for climbing the willow tree and hanging out in it, looking down at folks come and go. There were also summer barbecues in our backyard, complete with hamburgers and hot dogs and the occasional steak for the adults. There was corn on the cob slathered with butter, molasses-flavored baked beans from the oven in the kitchen, and potato salad galore, the way my mother made it, with the barest minimum of ingredients so that the taste of the potatoes could be savored. Pitchers of freshly squeezed lemonade were there for kids. Fizzy sodas were treats. And whiskey sours and bourbon and ginger ale flowed like water for the adults. By the 1960s, autumn's cooler breezes marked the return from a vineyard summer and brought back-to-school clothes and trips to Parkway Village to attend classes at the United Nations International School. In later years, I would go there to take the bus into the Manhattan School on 70th Street and 1st Avenue. It also brought the unforgettable smell of leaves burning after they'd been raked into piles edging the sidewalk all around the corner by my father. There were pumpkins for Halloween and trick-or-treating, after dark, mind you, up and down the block, stopping at the homes of friends who were passed on the way. The Halloween jack-o'-lantern yielded to Thanksgiving pumpkins. We always had dinner with my mother's mother in New Jersey, but after she died in the mid-1960s, it was pumpkin pie and my mother's mincemeat pie around our table with an array of friends and relatives that changed each year. The annual round of holidays and festivities continued. There were birthday parties and church on Sunday, and the usual round of events that made up life in those less busy days. A trip to Jamaica Avenue for shopping at Gertz or at Macy's, watching a movie at the Lowe's Valencia Theater on Jamaica Avenue, where the grand organ still occasionally pumped out walls of sound. There were even terraced orange trees, as I remember it, although I never knew if they were real or artificial. I guess it was all designed to evoke the Spanish Valencia of the theater's name. The Jamaica Avenue L, elevated train for those of you not from here, may have rumbled by overhead, but for us, the street was no less elegant, and it was certainly no less busy. Oh, this is the night. It's a beautiful night, and we call it a Eating out meant getting dressed up, and was usually Italian, red sauce Italian at that. No arugula or risotto, but rather substantial, hearty fare like lasagnas with thick pasta, although we didn't call it pasta then, layered with meat and the tomato sauce that's called red gravy in New Orleans, and lots of bubbling hot cheese. There was veal parmigiana and myriad types of spaghetti. Meals always ended with a cup of bitter espresso into which a twist of lemon peel released a spritz of oil. And, if we'd become friends with the patrons, a small glass of anisette with the coffee beans floating atop that I later learned were called mosca, flies. Fancier meals were the infrequent dinners at the enclave that I can vividly remember, but cannot name, on Hillside Avenue, and they were cause for celebration. The place was definitely white tablecloth. At the beginning of each meal, each table was supplied with a relish tray of plump pimento-stuffed olives, sweet pickled gherkins, celery, and carrot sticks. And for years, that meant very, very fine dining indeed to me. There was an extensive menu that boasted grilled steaks, fried fish and scallops, and other goodies. The formally dressed waiters would let me have a Shirley Temple, gravely take my dinner order, 
and make me feel quite grown up. Gradually, as I went to high school in the city, and that's a locution that will forever brand me as a child of the bridge and tunnels, and as I went then off to college out of state, the Jamaica outings of my childhood changed to celebratory meals of my teen years. Those were held in Manhattan at places like the Fonda del Sol and the Four Seasons, where a March birthday and my parents both born in winter, I've only seen one season. My Jamaica days, therefore, are long gone, but my connection with Queens remains. This, though, is another Queens, distant from the Jamaica of my childhood. Now I journey to Queens College, where my mother worked for more than 20 years and where I have worked for more than four decades. The college has grown and changed since the day when my mother dragged me to her job on school holidays. Then... I knew the switchboard operators by name and visited them in the basement of Jefferson Hall, which was one of the few red-tile-roofed buildings that made up the campus quadrangle. Then, the college population was mainly white, with a few blacks working in administration and as secretaries, and an occasional Asian, although back then they were called Oriental, and that meant Chinese. Now, the school is a microcosm of the world, with over 183 different languages spoken, it is perhaps the best representation of what Queens has become. Now, I couldn't possibly know all of Queens, but the changes in my area of it are startling. Although my mother lived there during the rap years, I had by then long moved away to Manhattan's delights. I also missed much of the morphing of Jamaica Avenue from bustling business thoroughfare to seedy shopping street to its rebirth as a central commercial hub for a vibrant West Indian and South Asian community. I'm still astonished that the L came down. Its rumbling trains were a part of my childhood soundscape. Queens has changed enormously, and now my Queens focus is less on South Jamaica and more on the forest hills of my commute. However, within all of the change, I've somehow managed to find what seems to be a preserved in amber enclave that reminds me of the Queens of my childhood. I love the old Queens feel of a small stretch of Metropolitan Avenue not far from the Jackie Robinson Parkway. When I stop off on after-class errands, I'm thrilled to be able to find a butcher shop that still boasts sawdust on the floor and a butcher who will cut meat to order. My dentist can confirm that I make too many trips to Enye's Chocolat. My dentist will confirm that I make too many trips to Enye's Chocolates that was established in 1930 as Krause's Candy Kitchen. It's a more than 80-year-old candy store where they sell wonderful wooden toys and the candy selections change with the seasons. Large satin hearts are there to be filled with chocolates on Valentine's Day and ribbon candy and peppermint sticks signal Christmas. Up until a very few years ago, every Christmas and Easter, they would make the crystal cream candies that used to turn up in my childhood Easter basket. I was bereft when they stopped, but couldn't convince them to continue. 
too time-consuming, with not enough folks appreciating them. Enyes, though, is simply one of the mom-and-pop-owned stores that dot a short strip of the avenue at the back end of Forest Hills. The stores are fairly small and family-run. There's an antique shop or two, an old-fashioned drugstore that looks as though it may even still have a soda fountain, but I really can't believe that, a movie theater, and even a vacuum and small appliance repair shop. Now, when did you last see one of those? The hardware store places seed packets in racks and green wire fencing out in front in the spring, and trash cans and rakes on the sidewalk in autumn, and snow shovels and salt in the winter. A florist shop salutes the change of seasons as well and clearly caters to neighborhood needs. There are small neighborhood restaurants as well, almost one on each block of the Strip. They speak to Queens's increasing diversity with local eateries like the one I remember from my childhood. Yet they now have arugula salads and risotto and may tempt occasionally with a trendy item or two. But basically, they're friendly neighborhood spots where a dinner with a bottle of wine doesn't have to cost an entire week's paycheck. There's also a wine bar and even an Argentinian grill. But the street basically reminds me of my childhood. However, the only thing that I remember, and I do mean the only thing that I remember from my pre-Socratic philosophy class at college, is that you cannot step twice in the same river. Therefore, my queens remains in my past. So I dabble and delight in occasional visits to the Strip, but I have moved on, and so has my borough. I enjoy exploring the Indian enclaves near Roosevelt Avenue in Jackson Heights and the Greek neighborhoods in Astoria. There's a Transylvanian restaurant I'll try one day in Sunnyside, and I'll never really know all of the Chinese spots in Flushing. While I'll explore, though, I'll always be caught out by the cognoscenti who will hear me say I'm heading into the city and know that no matter where I live and how sophisticated I may be, somewhere in my heart, I'm a bridge and tunnel girl from Jamaica. Jamaica, Queens. And so, until next time. Keep good and greasy when I'm gone, gone, gone.